According to a new UN report, humans' efforts to save the ozone layer have worked, and it could be restored in a matter of decades. An international agreement, dubbed the Montreal Protocol, was signed in 1987 and later became the first UN treaty to be universally ratified. As a result, 99% of banned ozone-depleting substances have been phased out, an environmental and public health success story, which could hopefully reduce the risk of skin cancer. This is Pulse Check. I'm Lauren Gardner. As COVID cases explode in China, the Biden administration is ramping up surveillance of biological samples from international passengers arriving at U.S. airports to check for new variants. The CDC is collecting voluntary nasal swabs and plans to start analyzing samples from airplanes' bathroom wastewater. The administration hopes to team with other countries that are starting to do the same thing to get a better picture of how COVID variants and other pathogens are spreading. A CDC surveillance system has flagged a possible link between the updated Pfizer-BioNTech COVID vaccine and strokes in people 65 and older. The CDC and FDA cautioned it's very unlikely to be a true clinical risk. The agencies said reviews of other government monitoring systems have not shown a similar signal, and they continue to recommend the vaccine. House Energy and Commerce Chair Kathy McMorris-Rogers, a Washington State Republican, said she'd investigate. House Republicans will focus their first oversight hearing on COVID-19 unemployment fraud. Oversight Committee Chair James Comer has invited federal officials to testify before his panel on February 1st. Republicans are expected to hold a slew of oversight hearings focused on the Biden administration's response to the coronavirus pandemic. So this meeting will be the first of many showdowns to come. And the United Kingdom's National Health Service is in crisis. Cases of COVID, as well as other respiratory illnesses, are spiking, which add to longer-term problems in the NHS, prompting some UK politicians to wonder if the single-payer model is sustainable in the country. Politico UK reporter Helen Collis is here to talk about it. Thanks so much for joining us, Helen. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So explain for Americans at a high level, how exactly does the National Health Service work? Uh, and, and what are the biggest pressure points right now? In the UK, we have a single payer national health service system, otherwise known as the Beveridge model, after Lord William Beveridge, who designed it in the 1940s. The payer is the UK government, and it's funded through taxation. Everyone pays a national insurance contribution direct from their salary every month. And we have universal health care in the UK. That means it's free at the point of service for virtually all care, except things like dentistry and prescription medicines in the community. And it's free for everybody. The prescription medicine fee at the moment is £9.35, but it's only for, it's not for everybody. So people who are over 60 or under 16 don't pay it. People on low incomes and on welfare support would get free medicines as well. And you wouldn't pay for medicines in hospital. It's only in the community. So some of the, some of the issues you wrote about really, I think, parallel ones that we see in the U.S. system, which obviously is very different. Uh, we just had a, a big nurses strike in New York City, for example, over pay and working conditions, conditions that the pandemic definitely exacerbated. How much of what the NHS is experiencing now do you think is attributable to operating under, you know, nearly three years of an emergency posture? And how much of this is just kind of the w dealing with the weight of systemic problems? 
Yes. So we obviously have very high demand for acute care at the moment. We've got very high levels of infections from influenza, RSV virus, COVID, but we've also got huge backlogs of care from the pandemic. We've got over 7 million people in um, England waiting for care at the moment. And the English population is just over 55 million. So that's well over 1% of the population waiting for treatment. We've got late diagnoses as well from the COVID pandemic period where people were avoiding going to see their healthcare practitioner. So we've got a whole pile up of, of these issues. But we also have systemic problems from before the pandemic. People tell me there is a chronic understaffing issue in the NHS across doctors, nurses, ambulance staff. They're concerned about their level of care that they're providing to their patients as demand goes up. A number of hospitals are declaring crisis situations, which means that they have to step down from some of the other services that they're providing and really focus on dealing with the immediate challenges that are presenting to them. We have very long waits on average now for seeing someone in the emergency department, which we call A&E or accident and emergency in the UK. Mm. We had the highest number on record, I believe, last month or the last latest figures on people waiting 12 hours or over to see someone and the target is three to four hours. Uh, what are the experts that you've been speaking to about these issues? You know, how how do they think that these issues can be addressed in a way to kind of pull the NHS back from this crisis position? Addressing the sort of long-term issues The NHS has gone through years of austerity under the Conservative government. They've had efficiency savings drives, which are effectively, NHS leaders will tell you they're more cost-cutting approaches. But in essence, uh, they've had their budgets cut year on year for um, over a decade. Mm. Off the back of this, we had the pandemic, which obviously created a huge amount of backlog of care. As part of the efficiencies, a lot of beds and hospitals were cut and in the community, having too many beds obviously isn't very efficient as a, as a health system, but some experts argue that too many beds have now been cut and it's gone too far the other way. And not having enough beds is having a huge impact on their ability to care for people properly. But the workforce issue is undeniably one of the biggest issues that has been raised by pretty much everyone I've spoken to. One of the immediate solutions that has been suggested not only by doctors, nurses and ambulance staff themselves, but also the people providing um, the hospital leaders and NHS providers is that they would really like to see an end to these strikes, which are just taking more staff away from the front line. And they really would like to see their, their staff rewarded at a level that values what they do. On the workforce crisis issue, there's been a lot of calls for a long-term workforce planning document to be drawn up. It's almost got cross-party support, but it just hasn't been implemented yet. And it's um, it's one of the things that across the board has a lot of support for really getting to the bottom of the workforce crisis and, and preparing and planning the, the level of workforce for the long term. So what have politicians in the UK been saying about, you know, what's next? Where do we go from here? What what steps need to be taken to to address the issues that you just laid out here? So the crisis in the NHS today has definitely started a conversation about whether or not the single payer beverage model is the best approach. We have a growing aging population and and a smaller working population that will be paying the taxation to to fund that health care. Other countries in Europe have different systems. They have social health insurance systems, which are more 
geared towards mandatory health insurance payments with either the state providing healthcare, other government-owned institutions, or also private institutions providing the healthcare. A lot of these systems have a much greater co-payment component compared to the NHS. So they would have fees for visiting GPs and fees for seeing specialists as well. And there's definitely a discussion happening at the moment in the UK about whether or not moving to an insurance-based system might be might be what the UK needs at the moment. Very highly contentious given how much the NHS is loved in the UK and was even the topic of the Olympic parade at the beginning of the Olympics in 2012 in London um, and got its <laughs> own dance and performance. So it's highly contentious and very uh, difficult debate, but it's one that we're now starting to see happen a little more. That's fascinating, especially just given the the talk on the left here in the US about you know the possibility of single payer not something that anyone would expect to happen anytime soon but uh very interesting to hear that there's this talk now in the UK about maybe it's time to move away from that so really appreciate you taking the time to walk through that Helen thank you so much you're welcome thank you and that's our show our music is by the mysterious breakmaster cylinder Annie Reese is our producer. Our healthcare team editors are Eli Reyes, Dan Goldberg, Barbara Van Tyne, Beth Belton, and Sean Zeller. Jenny Ament is the executive producer of audio at Politico. I'm Lauren Gardner. Subscribe and follow Pulse Check for a new episode every day. And subscribe to our newsletters where you can read this reporting. Pulse, Future Pulse, and Prescription Pulse. Thanks for listening.